Welcome to River Ridge. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here. Glad that you all are here. So we're doing this series titled More Than Happy, but before we get into it, I want to tell you what makes me more than happy. And uh, that is a thing that we do every year called The Church Has Left the Building. And uh, if you've not been here for that, what it is is the first Sunday in May every year, this will be our fifth year, and it's May 6th this year, instead of having services here at church, we go out and we serve in the community. We serve in the schools, we serve at community organizations, nonprofits, parks, all kinds of different places. And we want to make this just an incredible opportunity to serve in our community of Charleston and beyond. And so uh, that's not until May, but there's some really important stuff that needs to happen in the next couple of weeks, really maybe the month or so, uh, in order to get us ready for that. So in order to do that on May the 6th, we need to have project managers and projects to do. So we are looking for about 50 project managers. Um, And a project manager is someone who has one of three skills. You're a people person, you're a good like project person, or you're well organized. One out of three is fine. It will get you by on this. You don't need to have all three of those skills. Uh, But we would love to have you be a project manager. So if you're thinking you're interested in being a project manager, right after this service, uh, in the starting point room over there, we will have about a 10 or 15 minute kind of informational meeting to say, this is what it's about, this is what it involves, and then you can decide if you would like to be a project manager or not. Uh, and then also, if you don't want to be a project manager for whatever reason, uh, but you say, hey, here's a good project, this would be a great for somebody to do, but I don't think I'd be good at organizing it, uh, we would love to have your ideas as well, and so we'll be collecting those at the same meeting, so either ideas or project managers if you would come there. Now, I need to say something that's real about River Church. We tend to be sort of late for things, right? Like late to church, late for signing up, late for, you know, dinner, whatever it is, right? And so if you come to us on May 1st and say, I want to help and be a project manager, you're way too late. So we need to get this stuff organized so that it goes smoothly in April when we're doing signups and then May 6th when it happens. So That will be right after this service. If you can't stay for whatever reason today, next week after both services, we'll have a meeting as well. So, hey, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to look into your word, that we get to talk about what it means to be more than happy, what it means to be filled with joy that comes from you. I pray that as we look into your word that you'd speak to us, that you'd show us, and most importantly, that you would show us the action steps to take from what we look at this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is week two out of week four of More Than Happy. And uh, what this is, is we're talking about how do we have joy in our lives. And if you were here last week, uh, we talked about this idea that happiness is circumstantial, but joy is something that we can be, or that can be sustained throughout a lifetime. That we talked about this idea that, that happiness kind of goes up and down with our circumstances, but joy is not like that. And as we kicked off the series last week, um, we gave everybody who was here, who wanted one, one of these more than happy uh, devotional guides. And so what we're doing on Sunday mornings is we're doing one chapter per week, and we're talking all throughout about the theme of joy. 
But in the book of Philippians, there's a whole lot of other themes besides the theme of joy. We're not hitting every verse and every word all through this series. What we're doing is saying, let's look at the theme of joy through the book of Philippians. But we want you to be able to look at this on your own. So if you want to grab one of these, if you weren't here last week, they're in some baskets out on the silver tables as you walk out the main doors. Uh, If you want to get the electronic copy, you can download that from the website. But I really encourage you to do this devotional along with what we're doing on Sunday mornings. It will really complement it. And part of the reason that we put this together is we want to help you to be able to have your own time with God, your own quiet time, your own devotional time, whatever you want to call it, because that's how God pours into our lives on a daily basis. It's not just sermons. It's not just a home group or a Bible study, but it's God speaking to us through His Word. And this will equip you to do that in the future. So I encourage you to grab one of these on your way out. So in Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's Philippians 4.4. And he puts this rejoice or have joy, be joyful, he puts it in a command form because we can have joy regardless of our circumstances. We can have joy when things are going great and awesome in our lives, we can have joy. But we can also have joy in the midst of sadness. We can have joy in the midst of troubles. We can have joy in the midst of disappointment. We can have joy in the midst of all kinds of stuff that we go through in life if we have Christ. Because last week we talked about the key to joy is this. It's looking inside, not outside. That we look inside, and as we look at Christ in us, and Christ never changes, Instead of looking outside to the circumstances which are always changing, which are always going up and down. One of the things that's going to happen next week is we're going to have a baptism. We're going to baptize, I think, about seven people or something like that. And in preparation for that, we've asked people who are going to be baptized to share their story with us. And so this is from a little girl, and she grasps joy. She says this, and these are her own words. Well, I just... I feel, excuse me, well, I feel just really joyful ever since I gave my heart to Jesus. It's not like happiness. Happiness is like when you're excited about a movie. Joyful is like when you're joyful to have God and Jesus. And I love that. And I was thinking about having her come up and maybe give the sermon, but she can't because she's only seven years old. And she gets it. Let me read it to you again. Happiness is like when you're excited about a movie. Joyful is like you're joyful to have God and Jesus. And that's what this series is about. How do we have this joyfulness in us? We started last week with this phrase, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It comes from Philippians 1.21. When we understand that, When we put Christ in that blank, for me to live as Christ, then we have joy. But if we put anything else in that blank, for me to live is my family, my kids, my job, financial security, retirement, health, anything that goes in that blank are beholden to the circumstances of our lives. But when we say for me to live as Christ, then we understand that that's where true joy is found. I was talking to a friend this week just about this concept. He's just going through kind of a tough time, and I said, he doesn't doesn't come to church. 
said, why don't you listen to my sermon? Because I think it would really help you with what you're dealing with. So we listened to the sermon, then we got together and we talked about it. And he said, I realize that I've been chasing happiness and not joy. Because what I've been putting in that blank is my girlfriend. For me to live is, and then whatever her name is at the time, when I put her there, and as a result, his life just goes through all these roller coasters because the circumstances change. But when we can say, for me to live is Christ, that's where joy is found. And so we're going to look this morning at the second key to joy. So if you have your Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 2. And by the way, just as you're finding this, uh, it's sort of been fun to see what people have been posting on Facebook about more than happy, uh, because this was posted this week about somebody who was more than happy. So, (laughs) isn't that awesome? A more than happy cat. So, I'm not really a cat person, but I still like that picture. But maybe somebody could post a more than happy dog, which would truly be happy this coming week. So, but in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at this passage. And I'm going to tell you right up front, here's the key to joy. The key to joy is this, is putting others first. The key to joy is putting others first. Now, here's the thing about putting others first um, that doesn't sit well with me. I like to win. Like, I'm competitive. I don't like coming in second in anything, right? And so, and I, and I realized this, this sort of came to light, not came to light, but it was once again shown in my life on uh, Friday night. I did this new thing, I've never done this before, but at the ice rink on, Sunday, or on Friday nights, they have this thing called learn to skate or learn to play hockey. So my 13-year-old son, Ben, has been interested in learning to skate and learning to play hockey. So he and I went and did this thing together as a father-son thing, and uh, it, was, it was awesome. There was about 40 people there, about 35 guys, about five women, and uh, like I'm strapping on the hockey skates. I've got these big like shin guard things on, these big like bulky pants to protect my butt, which they didn't do because I got bruises back there. Um, I've got like a chest protector, shoulder pads, elbow pads. I mean, I was, I looked like a hockey player. I didn't necessarily play like a hockey player. And so then they bring us out onto the ice uh, and they say, okay, those of you who have been here before, you're over there. Those of you who are new, you're going to go this way. And I found out that they call like those, like the hockey players and then the special group. And so I was in the special group, right? So they sent us over to the special group and they're showing us a little bit how to skate and they give us some drills to skate and then some things with the puck and whatnot. And it was really fun. But then they broke us into, in the special group, they broke us into four groups, four teams, like team one, team two, team three, team four. And so we were team three. I was the captain of team three. And I tell you, the competitive juices came out and I wanted to win. Like, I didn't care if my 13-year-old son was on the other side. I was going to beat him, right? And we beat, so I was team three. We beat every team except we couldn't beat team one. I was so frustrated. But then I found out that the instructor was on team one. I'm like, that's not fair. I don't want to come in second. You know, and maybe you're like that. And I think a lot of us, just that's in our nature, we don't want to come in second. So when we say joy is found in putting others first, it's like, I'm not sure that I like that. I mean, you know, does anybody want to be somebody's second choice for prom? And somebody says, hey, uh, Michelle, would you go to prom with me? I asked Linda, but she said no. Like, nobody's excited about that, right? Nobody wants, I, I got second for the job I was applying to, but I still don't have a job. I applied for the promotion, but I didn't get it. I came in second. You know, we want to be first. And so when we say putting others first, 
It's going to go against the grain a bit of who we are. And so we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to understand how is it that we find joy in putting others first. So it begins in verse 3. Paul writes this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And what we're going to do as we go through this, we're going to look at three different ways that we can find joy in putting others first. That's kind of what we're building to, and we're going to see this in a couple different verses in this passage. But here's the first one. It's we need to identify the joy killers. The joy is found in putting others first. But in this verse, there's a couple of joy killers. The first one is this. Each of you, excuse me, do nothing out of selfish ambition. So ambition isn't wrong. Ambition is fine. But the problem is when our ambition, our desires, our motivations are all self-interested, self-centered. And if everything in our life is, I want to be ambitious, I want to accomplish this for me, for me, for me, that will rob the joy that we have. Even if we accomplish what we want to accomplish, it will take the joy away because it's just self-centered. He also says, the other joy killer is vain conceit. And vain conceit, it's this idea, and it's sort of two words in the original language, one word being lacking substance, and the other is having a high opinion of myself. And so when we have a high opinion of ourselves, but it's not there, it says that, we, that that will take us from our joy. And so to get rid of that in our lives. And we have to sort of, it's essentially, it's kind of like a two-part process, is that we need to take ourselves out of the center of our lives in terms of what we want, and we need to put Christ in there and then follow what Christ wants in terms of putting others first. That's where joy is found. And this next verse is related to it. It says this, verse 4. It says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, this verse makes an assumption, and I want to make sure that we don't make the assumption that this verse makes, that we understand. It says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. The assumption is that we know what other people's interests are. And that's kind of an assumption, and I want us to take a, a moment and stop and think about that for a second in terms of what are other people's interests. As we apply this message, and I want us to transition a little bit to begin thinking how will I apply this message of putting other people first, there's different areas where we can put each other first, put other people first. Certainly in your home, you know, as a husband, I want to put my wife's needs and interests ahead of my own. As a wife, you want to put your wife's interests ahead, your husband's interests ahead of your own. As a, as a parent, you want to put your kids' interests above your own. Not your kids' wants, but your kids' interests. There's a difference, right? You can think about this in the workplace, that you're going to put others, your coworkers, ahead of yourself. You can think about this in the sports team that you're on, or in all these different places, in your neighborhood. There's all these places where there's opportunity to put ourselves second and to put other people first. And in doing that, what we do is we put their interests ahead of our own. But sometimes it takes some thought to figure out, well, what are their interests? What do they want? How can I help them to accomplish their goals? And to take some thought and to think about that in putting them 
first. And it takes some thought and some meditation on how to do that. I had an um, interesting kind of thing happen a couple years ago. Um, and I'll sort of not mention names to protect the guilty parties of which one of is myself. Um, but, you know, there's a guy who invited me to, to do something. We'll just kind of leave it broad like that. And uh, he invited me to do something. And a friend of mine, a pretty good friend of mine and friends with this guy, said, I'm really surprised that so-and-so invited you to do this because he doesn't like you. And I'm like, that's not nice to say. You know, I mean, it may have been true, but you don't necessarily want to say that out loud. Like, hey, he doesn't like you. I'm like, oh, okay. So, um, but it was interesting when this happened, I took it sort of as a personal challenge that this guy didn't like me. And so I began to get to know this guy a little bit better and find out what are his interests specifically and then have conversations and interactions with him based on his interests and do what I could to set up his interests to do well. And as a result, over the last couple of years, he and I have struck up a friendship. And I say that because part of it is that we need to figure out what it is that other people are interested in. In verse, uh, back in verse 3, it uses this word. It says, consider, consider others. And this, the, the word in Greek is, it's, it's hard to pronounce, but it's hemojai, hemojai. And what it means, and you may have a different translation, and here's sort of why it has. You may, in your translation that you're looking at, it may say the word count, or it may have the word value, both of, both of which are mathematical expressions. And so when it says consider, it's not like, well, should I do this, should I not? It's saying take a mathematical, calculated view of putting others first. Because if we just wait till we feel like putting somebody else first, then we'll never do it. Hey, if I feel like it, then I do it. But if I don't, then I won't. See, he's saying make a calculated decision to put other people first figure out what their interests are, and then serve them. Now, if we do this, if we put other people's needs ahead of our own, if we put other people first, there raises a question within me, at least, and probably within you about, what about my needs? If I constantly serve somebody else, if I constantly serve other people, are my needs going to be met? Or if I constantly serve this person, if I constantly put them first, am I going to get walked on? Am I going to get trampled on? Is this ever going to become a two-way street? Or am I going to be walked on the whole time? I want to keep going because what Paul writes about next really answers that question in a lot of ways. Verse 5 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So it's saying the attitude that we have, and this is not have a positive attitude. Having a positive attitude is a great thing to do, but it's saying have the attitude of Christ. Okay, well, what is the attitude of Christ? It says this, verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So here's what we want to draw from this, is follow the example 
of Christ. We follow the example of Christ. In verse 6, it says, says, Jesus, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a human. I want you to picture something in your, for a moment. I want you to think about what is the most beautiful place on earth? Think about whatever it is. What is the most beautiful place on earth that you can think of? Maybe it's the Rockies of Colorado. Maybe it's a beach that you've been to. Maybe it's a picture you've seen on TV. You've never even been there. Maybe it's your back porch overlooking woods. Whatever it is, think about what is the most beautiful place that you can think of that you would love to be at. Got that in your mind? Now, I want you to think of what is the worst place on earth that you can think of. What, when you say hell on earth, this is what is it. Pick up whatever kind of place it is. Maybe it's a scene that you've seen from a movie or a TV commercial. For me, I picture the slums in Nairobi, one of the worst places I've ever seen. I want you to think about those two things. The worst place you've ever thought of and the most amazing place. As you have those two in mind, I want you to imagine this. It says that Jesus Christ was in heaven, in the comfort of heaven, and he left heaven to come to earth. And whatever the difference is between the greatest place you can think of and the worst place you can think of, the difference of Jesus going from heaven to earth is 10 times that, 50 times that, 100 times that. He left a perfect heaven, a perfect relationship with God. Everything was awesome there. To come down to earth where he was spit on, where he was misunderstood, where he was ridiculed, where they pulled his beard out, where he was nailed to a cross and crucified. He gave up all of that to come to earth. And you see, we are called to do that same thing. That we are called by this example to leave the comfort of whatever it is and place other people first. About Jesus, it says this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It says that he had the joy that was set before him. He left the comfort of heaven to go to the cesspool of earth because of the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He, in his life, put others in front of himself. And that's what God calls us to do. As you picture these different relationships that you're in, that you're going to give of yourself. Sometimes you're going to give of your money. You're going to give money to somebody else, whether it's the church or an individual, and you're going to sacrifice in that way. Sometimes you're going to give of your time. You're going to give up something that you want to do to do something for somebody else. That's how you're going to put them first. Sometimes you're going to be physical labor. You're going to go help somebody move, or it's going to just cause physical labor. But the thing that I think for most of us that's most difficult, but also the greatest joy, is when we give up our own needs and our own desires and our own way of doing things to say, we're going to go your way, not my way. We're going to do it your way, not my way. 
and then we give that up. And when we do that, we're following the example of Christ. There's a little phrase in here. It says in verse 7, it says, He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. C.S. Lewis wrote this, and uh, it's kind of attributed to him. It may or may not have been exactly his words, but he's attributed with these words. It says this, To be nothing is not to think of yourself less, it's to think, excuse me, it's not to think less of yourself, it's to think less of yourself. Isn't that interesting? To be, did I say that right or did I get that wrong again? <laughs> there it is. Let's, let's, okay, obviously I'm stumbling here today. We're going to read this together, okay? All right, one, two, three. All right, I'm handing over the podium to somebody. Well done. But isn't that a great way of looking at that? To think of ourselves less. To not think, what do I want? What do I need? Where am I going? But instead to say, what does somebody else need? That's where joy is found. I want to look at one more set of verses um, in Philippians, but I want to set this up in a little, in a little in sort of a way is one of the things, and you'll read this if you're going through your quiet time guide this week, is that Paul, in talking about Timothy, he says this. He says, I have no one else who takes a genuine concern for your interests. It's this, that word genuine that stands out to me because there was something about Timothy that made his serving, that made putting other people in front of himself, that it was so genuine that Paul writes about it. And as I think about my own life, I know that there are times in my life that I'm not genuine in the way that I serve. Now, I do it. I kind of grit my teeth. I'm like, okay, I'll put you first, but I don't really want to, right? And we can make ourselves do that. We can force ourselves to put others first and sort of by will and by might, but it doesn't last. What we want is we want to genuinely put other people in front of ourselves, and here's how that happens. We're going to skip down to verse 12. Paul writes this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence. And then here's the part to focus on. It says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, I want to give a bit of a biblical explanation uh, of what's going on here. So Paul writes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Here's what he's not saying. Paul is not saying that we work for our salvation. That if we do enough good things, then we earn heaven. What Paul is talking about here, he uses the word salvation in a little bit different context than we typically use it. He's using it as an expression of overall. So salvation wasn't sort of a one-time thing. It was, it's an overall deal that contains three different parts. One part is justification. And so justification is when we are made right by Christ. When we receive Christ as our Savior, we are justified before God. And the next part is called sanctification. I'm giving you some biblical words here. But sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Christ. 
And then glorification is what happens to us when we go to heaven, then we become without sin. We become in that way. And so what this is talking about is Paul says, work out your salvation with joy, with fear and trembling. He's saying the sanctification part, saying become more like Christ. Work at becoming more like Christ. And so when we talk about having this attitude, this genuine desire to serve, he says you need to work at it. So if you're filling in your blanks, it's we work with God. We work with God towards this, that we do what's right. And so when God puts something in front of us that's the opportunity to serve, to put somebody else first, we do it. Our heart may not be totally into it, but we do it. But then the second part comes from verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose, that God works in us. And so it's a both and work with God and invite God to work, invite God to work in you. And, and the way this process works, and I'm going to give you sort of a silly analogy, but I hope you can sort of transform this into something larger, is when Stacy and I were first married, one of the things that, that brought her joy, br- brought me no joy at all, was cleaning the kitchen counters and wiping the counter. There we go, yeah. <laughs> See, she still has joy in that. So, but for me, and I, and I kind of felt, we, early in our marriage, I didn't realize that cleaning the kitchen involved wiping the counters. I'm like, that don't need to be clean. We're just going to, I learned from my wife that you should also wipe the counters off. But I didn't really want to do it. And so I would go, I'm doing this for Stacy, you know, but there was no joy in it. But it was the right thing. I was putting her needs ahead of my own. But as time went on, I continued to do it, but God also worked in my heart. And I mean, it sounds kind of weird and sort of goofy, but now when I clean the counters, it brings me joy because I know that I'm doing something that blesses my wife, Stacy. And you see, you can take that to having joy But this principle of God works and we work and it's this complementary thing together, it really fits for every area of our lives that we want to bring into the Lordship of Christ. As we want to grow in Christ, we work, but then God works in us and transforms our hearts so that we have this genuine desire to love and to serve others. So as we want to move to applying this to some different areas of our lives, um, certainly we can apply this at home. We've talked about that a little bit. Certainly we can apply this to our coworkers, type of relationships, people that we interact with every day. But there's another place that I want us to think about applying it, and that's within the context of the church and specifically serving in the church. That one of the things that can happen, one of the things that we want to give the opportunity to do is to put others first when it comes to being involved in serving through the local church, serving through River Ridge. And so I want to show you a video, and this is a video of a guy who decided to put second grade boys first and finding joy in that. Let's check out this video. My name is Eric, and I'm currently serving in the kindergarten through third grade Ridge Kids area as a second grade boys small group leader. Um, On any given Sunday, we could have from 7 to 15 Uh, in the class, uh, so it really gets busy in a hurry. There's nothing like having to teach others uh, to get you more into the Word. Uh, Being part or being a small group leader for Ridge Kids, 
has given me an opportunity to pass on what I've learned and it also gives me an opportunity to help young lives grow and uh, build their relationship with Christ. I serve because I see it as being part of the church. Uh, the growth and ministries here at River Ridge only happen through volunteers who step up and do the good work. I want to see that growth continue to happen and I want to be a part of it wherever I can. When I finally reach my heavenly home, I want to be able to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You might still be thinking, where could I start? Well, I have a few questions that come to mind that might help. Can you smile and say hello? Do you like to make coffee? Can you direct crazy drivers into their parking spaces? Do you like to hold babies? If so, River Ridge has a place for you to start and use those finely honed skills. I encourage you to take the next step and serve. I want you to be a part of this growing ministry here at River Ridge. Most of all, you get a chance to lead young lives to Christ and there is no greater reward. If you look in the seat back in front of you, there's a little yellow card. Pull that out for a second if you would. And it says, more than happy to serve. And one of the ways that we want to give you the opportunity to put others first is to step into serving. Maybe you've been coming to River Ridge for a month or six months or maybe even a year and you've never stepped into serving. We want to give you this opportunity because joy comes with serving. If you talk to folks who serve coffee or work in the nursery or with preschoolers or park cars, that there is a joy that comes with putting others first. Do you sometimes have to wake up a little bit earlier? Yeah. Is it sometimes a little bit frustrating? Yeah. But the fact is, is that this is living out what we're talking about, putting others first. And so I encourage you, if you'd like to serve, if you want to find a place to serve, fill this card out. When you leave, there's boxes right next to the um, glass doors on the way out. Drop this in there, and we will help you to find a place to serve. I want to finish in a similar place that I finished last week. We looked at this phrase, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. And it's a great expression, and I think it's awesome to live that way. But then the question is, well, then how did Christ live? And the answer is that Christ lived his life by giving his life away. Christ lived his life by putting others first. And our call as followers of Christ is to follow that example. And I pray that you would have opportunities to do that this week, whether it's at family or at work or signing up to serve, that you would have joy by doing what Christ did in putting others first. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. I pray that you would give us each opportunities to put others first, that we would calculate and figure out how can I put somebody else's interests ahead of my own. Give us those opportunities. Show us that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.